Uh, a powerful solar storm uh, means Michigan could get a chance at the Northern Lights late this week. I know that gets you excited, Lacey. <laughs> and you as well. A lot of it's, of course, going to depend on factors that are going to be out of our control, like cloud cover and just how big the solar storm is. Yep. Uh, but uh, if, uh, let's see, this past weekend there was a solar storm. And so that means uh, what's also called officially the Aurora Borealis or Northern Lights. Uh, could be over Michigan, uh, looks like starting tonight, possibly tomorrow night and into April 1st. Um, but again, there's so many variables that go into whether or not we get to see them. First and foremost, cloud cover. Yeah. Or and rain. Right. This oh. time of year, uh, I mean, Michigan in general has its fair share of cloud cover. And then again, uh, the further north you are in Michigan, uh, our area, it has to really, really be a good show to make it all the way down. And we have more light pollution than so that's, that- that's a big factor in it because there are actually communities, uh, south of us, um, who will, who have a uh, significant less light pollution, but will have a better view of northern lights than say we are right here in town. Yep. Um, cause it's just far enough away from Kalamazoo and Battle Creek, uh, that the, the light pollution um, is out of the way a little bit more. And then for us, looking north, you've got Lansing, you've got Grand Rapids. But once you get past Grand Rapids to the north, and uh, you know that's when the light pollution really starts to go down and you have a better shot. Of course, we've talked about this a couple of times. We lived in the Thumb area. And if you go to the tip of the Thumb and look out over the lake... Yeah, there's no light pollution there. No, you're just looking over the water... And uh, again, in northeastern Michigan at our family cabins, another great place with low light pollution and the lake's not far away, too. And then, of course, in the Upper Peninsula, they get to see it quite often compared to us. That's right. Uh, NASA issued a warning of a solar storm on March 28th, and experts say likely will trigger some strong auroras in the northern poles. Um, the solar storms are caused by large jets of highly charged particles emerging from the surface of the sun, getting pushed out into space. Yeah, they say the auroras are so strong they should be visible along with the northern third of the United States, which would include us. Uh, of course, we are expecting some cloudy weather for today and Thursday. Uh, but that G2 geomagnetic storm watch is in effect for Friday uh, when skies may be a little bit more clear in our area so yeah and we got an article if you'd like to read some more about this uh, it's called powerful solar storms means michigan could see northern lights late this week and you could actually scroll through there read about it and uh there's a link down at the very bottom so you can find updates uh for the latest conditions from right now they're saying uh, a strong uh, g3 yep and weather forecasting for the surface or you know for us for the regular weather is hard enough but Forecasting this type of stuff is, from what I've read, it's some of the most complicated stuff to try to predict. You know, it is um, because there's there's factors that you look at. Uh, I, I'm not going to off the top of my head, you know, get into all of it. Like the KP index is is one thing that uh, is important and uh, solar winds are important as well, what their speed is at and all of that. But um, everything can look right on paper. And for whatever reason, you're just not seeing them. And other times things don't look right on paper. But for whatever reason, there they are. I saw a couple of very good ones in this area. Uh, it was in the Kalamazoo area, actually. Um, I want to say it was about 15 to 20 years ago. Yeah. It was before we met. So oh, it was yeah. Closer yeah. To I've heard a lot of people talk about that. I don't know how I missed it. It was an incredible night. And I didn't go anywhere with lower light pollution. I no. was just on the northern side of Kalamazoo. I actually went to uh, a church, the softball fields where I used to play. 
and parked and I just sat and watched it for three or four hours and the lights were just dancing like all like halfway up the sky. It was incredible. It, I couldn't pull my eyes away from it. What kind of colors were you seeing? Green, red, yellow, orange. I mean, it was a spectrum and it just continued and continued for probably four or five hours before it started to taper off. And there were times I was like, oh, it's starting to go down and then it would just shoot back up again. It was the best one I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I haven't gotten to see them too, too many times, but uh, I did get to see on St. Patrick's Day. It yeah. was, uh, how many years ago was that? Like five or six years ago? Yep. Five. And that was in the thumb area. Yep. Yeah. Um, and there was a dark sky park not far from where we lived. And I met up with a friend and you were at work, I think, that night. Yeah. But uh, gosh, <laughs> it was wonderful. And uh, for a time, she thought I was her lucky charm when it came for looking for him. <laughs> then the next three times you went out, nothing happened. And she was like, okay. I guess it was a coincidence. <laughs> but we'll see what happens in the next couple of nights. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll get a chance. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a look at your weather and news. Good morning. Jessica and Morgan are joining us from the Humane Society of South Central Michigan. How are you ladies doing today? Great. And uh, you have a friendly seasonal reminder about our pets. Yes. So even though it's been cold and it's probably going to be cold uh, for another week or so, uh, spring will eventually get here, at least as far as the warmer weather. We're already seeing some ticks and mosquitoes around, and uh, the mosquitoes mean that it is time to take your pet to the vet to get an annual heartworm test for your dog and have your dog uh, put on heartworm preventative if you're not doing it year-round. Um, so we always say that it's important to do it at least May through October, even though many vets are now recommending it year-round. Uh, and you do need an annual heartworm test for that. So that's super important. Um, and you might want to check with your cat as well at the vet because heartworm is becoming more of an issue for cats. Uh, there's no treatment for heartworm in cats, and normally the first sign is death. So it's uh, definitely something to consider as far as keeping your cat on heartworm preventative. So now is the time of year. It's going to take some time to get into your vet, most likely, uh, just because it's been so busy. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that you make that appointment now. Absolutely. Definitely a good time to get that appointment made. Uh, we just uh, recently got some appointments set up for wellness exams and uh, booster shots for um, the youngest of our two kitties. And uh, those were out by a month. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've had some uh, vets, local vets uh, retire. And so that kind of squeezes everything down. And so many pets were adopted uh, during the pandemic that it's becoming a little bit harder to get in. So make your appointments now and be uh, rather safe than sorry. And uh, that's not the only reason we're here today. Uh, you wanted to introduce Maud, our featured pet of the week. Yes. Maud is a year and six months old. She is a very petite little girl, uh, just a beautiful marking. She's pretty much just white and solid gray with really striking green eyes. Oh, she sounds adorable. What kind of home is she looking for? You know, Maud is more on the quiet, independent side. So I think a home that is somewhat busy, but not, you know, too overly active where it's going to, you know, scare her, freak her out. She doesn't have a lot of um, experience as far as we know, you know, with children or anything like that in the home. So I think older kids who are going to be respectful of her and her size would be best. She is kind of a funny cat when you meet her. She definitely watches from the sidelines, 
but once she gets to know you, uh, she'll vocally ask for attention, but you know, again, not knowing much of her history, she always kind of acts like she doesn't know how to accept the love and attention that she wants from you. So uh, she just has a really unique, funny personality, and she is just going to make a fantastic companion to the right right situation. Well, she sounds absolutely adorable and uh, sounds like she needs a family that's going to shower her with love slowly and patiently while she gets kind of accustomed to it. Yes, absolutely. I think that those slow little moments, you know, baby steps, it's going to go a long way with her. And I think in no time she'll be able to blossom into whoever she truly is. Uh, well, if you're interested in making Maud a forever part of your family, you can see photos and get more information on our website at 953wbck.com. We'll have a link back to the Humane Society of South Central Michigan so you can fill out that application. You can do so right on your phone now and get it turned back into them so you can meet Maud or one of their other furry friends looking for a forever home. Thank you, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, this is Rank. 95.3 WBCK. How you doing? Doing all right, Lacey. Um, uh, one thing we know that you follow closely and are an advocate for and involved in so many ways is the missing persons community in Michigan, uh, working with several people at uh, various points when these cases come up. But another thing that you do once in a while uh, is put out a group of missing person cases that are ongoing. And uh, this one's kind of alarming. Yeah, there are 17 children that have gone missing since the beginning of this year, since 2022, January 1st, wow. who have still not been found. And this is across the entire state of Michigan. That is correct. Uh, and there are other kids missing. Um, it's just... Uh, these are the ones that have been entered into the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So some have gone missing um, and just haven't been entered into that system yet. And uh, it's just kind of scary, though, when when you see that kids have been missing, some of these kids missing since the beginning of the year. Yeah. And regardless of the reasons, um, each of them is at risk for uh, all sorts of possibilities that life could throw at you um, if they're not in their safe and secure location at home. Uh, whether the child has run away purposely or not. It's uh, kind of irrelevant at this point. It isn't because it's, you know, all of us make bad choices when we're young sometimes and, and we learn from those decisions. And There's a reason why they're, they're considered minors and uh, are supposed to be in the care of a guardian or adult or parent. And it's because their brains haven't fully matured to be able to make, uh, you know, real sound, solid decisions. They don't have the reasoning that develops uh, uh, as you get older. Right. And once you're out and about in the world, uh, who knows where, sometimes they travel to different cities to be well, with somebody that One you know, thing they met. worth pointing out with runaways is that there are people sometimes that uh, they're chatting with online that uh, either present themselves as someone that they are not, perhaps somebody closer in age to them, or who kind of uh, try to encourage them to leave home and promise them gifts and things of that nature. Yeah, one of the downsides to this internet age that we live in now, and we've mentioned this several times before, uh, the internet provides a path into your home. Yeah, and makes access to your children. Yeah, makes them accessible. Um, and so um, besides trying to locate these missing children, preventative measures include really making sure you're on top of the sites, the apps uh, that you're who they're talking are, with, yeah, uh, looking at those conversations, even as much as, uh, you know, your kids are not going to enjoy that. 
Uh, many parents are doing it, and the kids do survive. <laughs> yeah, you got to take that hard stance. They're going to be stubborn. Yeah. Um, but there's ways they can enjoy and, we, and, and use the internet without uh, getting into problems. And in in the story, you will find some links that go back to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children with ways to talk to your children about online safety as well as preventing uh, being abducted. Um, but if you scroll through, there are photos of 17 different children. Um, all across the state of Michigan. And we have uh, their name as well as uh, when they went missing, uh, the city they are from, as well as uh, a description um, that is best available and the phone number to contact uh, the police department that's uh, handling that case, as well as the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Yep, And there are a couple that are not too far from the Battle Creek area. Uh, one is in Kalamazoo, Adriana LaCour. Which um, I, I have written an article on her uh by herself, um, and I believe there's a, a girl from Grand Rapids in here as well that um, also had written an article on. Um, but these kids are all across the state, and uh, they're not home. Yep. And um, again, if you want to go check out these photos and the information, and uh, you, you can, can scroll through. Yeah, yeah, you can help. You can be an advocate too. Um, just keep your eyes open. Is is really all that is required. Take this yeah. information and just kind of hold on to it and keep your eyes open when you're out and about. Yep, uh, definitely go through, look through those pictures and then be aware in your everyday life while you're out and about and you might be able to help contribute to a reunion. Yeah. Uh, your weather today, well, it's going to be rainy, cloudy, and we might even see a thunderstorm. It's a bit windy out there. We'll have a high in the mid-60s. Right now, we got some wind clouds. It's 38 degrees and feels like 31. Yeah, so, uh, of course, uh, Serial City, USA, even featured on national TV as a great destination one time. Absolutely. I don't remember what show it was. Uh, it was probably on the Travel Channel or something like that. Uh, but we all know it didn't make it. No, it did not make it, sadly. Um, do you remember what year it was that it closed? I want to say, like, it was in the mid-2000s. I think it was uh, 2007. It Yeah, because we... We had been married a couple of years. I just remember it in the news. We never went there. It was a place I wanted to go and check out sometime. But so you'd never been there either? No. And apparently not enough other people. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I I had never been there as well. Um, of course, uh, we love our cereal. Of course, especially in Battle Creek. It's a point of pride. Um, Absolutely. You know, it, it is sad. Some of the factories and the situations with Kellogg's and Post, of course, there's been layoffs and the presence isn't quite what it used to be, but the tie to the history of the sanitarium and, and all of that, um, I would say, lives in a positive place with with most people in the Battle Creek community. Yeah, and the Kellogg cereal plant uh, was a place many people visited on field trips and school outings. My school didn't do it, though. Well, and I'm trying to remember when it opened as well. I don't think it was, let's see, they did shut down in 2007. I don't know, it'd be, have, have to be something we would look up, but... Um, the tours, when you, and this is at the plant, this is before Cereal City USA was around. The tours included watching the cornflakes being made and that warm cereal smell uh, never left you until you got home. You can still kind of get that smell in the air sometimes when the wind's right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, the paper hats were cheesy, but uh, what's not to like about them? <sighs> so I never got a paper hat. I missed out on the paper hat. And you also <laughs> missed out on the kid uh, size snack pack of boxes of cereals that they let you take home. Oh, my goodness. Well, with those tours being successful, another idea was hatched that uh, Battle Creek would ever would forever be crowned the cereal capital of the world, and that became a stepping stone to create Cereal City USA. 
Right. It was a family-friendly amusement area with entertainment. Uh, Kellogg's animal mascots like Tony the Tiger and the Rice Krispies trio and uh, plenty of the Kellogg snack food. Yep. Uh, the tours ended at the plant in 1986 <laughs> thanks to suspected spying from the other cereal company. Uh, I'm assuming we're talking about Post. <laughs> and there were some OSHA complaints related uh, to the uh, factory tours. So there we go. 1998 is when Cereal City USA opened. So, yeah, I would have I would not have been going on a tour as a young child because uh, it wasn't there then. It wasn't there yet. Uh, it opened after an expense of about $22 million. Wow. And uh, obviously it was aimed at kids. Uh, there were ice cream cones with various Kellogg's pre-sweetened cereals. You mm. could have sprinkled over the top. That sounds wonderful. You could get your pitcher, put on a box of Frosted Flakes, and have pictures with uh, the cartoon characters. Uh, there were so many activities and all of it based on the cereals and their cartoon mascots. So uh, earlier you were saying that's the closest you'd ever get to being on a box of Wheaties. Apparently you only got to be on Frosted Flakes. I take it. We- I mean, I, I'm not going to get on a box of cereal otherwise. <laughs> well, and now that I think of it, Wheaties, I believe, is General Mills. Or, right. Yes. I thought about yeah. that after, too. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, the biggest complaint about the Cereal City was it was uh, too corporate of an atmosphere. Yeah, it was a place intended mainly for kids, but it seemed like they had a lot of these how we make cereal films, history timelines, stuff you and I would love. Uh, but that younger kids would maybe find a little bit boring, like the backstory on the Kellogg's brothers that would fall on deaf ears as a child. We've eaten up any documentary we've seen about the Kellogg's. <laughs> so maybe maybe it was more aimed at us than at kids. <laughs> I know, because even as a kid, I was really into history and uh, news and all of that. I, I wasn't a typical child. <laughs> they had fake machinery that simulated the cereal-making process, uh, but... Apparently, the kids weren't fooled by well, that. Well, what are you going to do? Have kids getting their arms ripped off with uh, some kind of special cereal dispensing machine? Uh, well, these days, the awe and wonder of how cereal is made has kind of been scrapped and pushed away from public viewing. Now it relies on promotion, promotions and marketing and the cute cartoon characters on the boxes and uh, other things, wacky names, things like that. Uh, cereal City USA was a good idea. I, just, I would go so far as to say it was a great idea. Great (laughs) idea. Just not profitable. It's been permanently shut down since the first month of 2007. Yeah, and according to Roadside America on Thursday morning, January 4th, the management of the Kellogg Cereal City USA called the Economic Development Council in Battle Creek and told them that it would not be open for business that day. Further, it would not be open for business on any other day in the near future. And it was permanently shut down. But what's great is you can kind of relive these memories. Yeah. There's quite a few photos in here. Um, it almost be like taking a step back in time and uh, getting a virtual tour. Yeah. A bunch of photos of some kids inside uh, the Cereal City USA. Those paper hats that they gave out. Yeah. Uh, a look at the. It really out- does give you a good idea of what it would have been like. Yeah. There's uh, some screenshots, too, that show the history of certain Kellogg products. Like what year... Rice Krispies came out and Raisin Bran and what their operations looked like, like the toasting ovens uh, for Kellogg in 1934 and uh, 
their cafeteria. Gosh, that's a nice cafeteria. Yeah, it was. A really, that looks nicer than some restaurants I've been to. I know. It's you wonder maybe if they would ever think of trying something again. I don't think they're going to spend twenty two million dollars to do it, but uh, uh, no. Wonder if it's an idea that will ever be revisited. I think. It, I think there there is still a great idea in there. Honestly, you just have to rework it and uh, maybe have some fun rides or something like that instead of you know doing the history of the manufacturing process of cereal. Or you could have have that too and maybe aim some of that at older people, you know, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> while I the kids know. are off playing, uh, yeah. the adults can be entertained. <laughs> there you go. Well, if you want to read and, and see these great photos, uh, we have an article called Battle Creek Serial City USA, When and Why Did It Close at 953wbck.com and on the app. Uh, so the Detroit Lions are taking part in something that historically has helped other teams who have participated in it. Oh, I I wasn't aware of this. Yeah, it's a show called HBO's Hard Knocks. Okay, but how has this helped other teams? Well, it's been more one of those teams that have participated in this end up doing better the following season. There's no direct uh, reason. Some silly sports superstition, like I can't wash my socks for the rest of the season. It is kind of like that. Um, 11 of the last 13 teams that have been featured on Hard Knocks have either equaled or improved their win-loss record in the regular season. For instance, the Cleveland Browns, they were winless in 2017, and after they were featured on Hard Knocks, the next season they were 7-8-1. So that's that's a big improvement. I mean, it's hard to go worse than winless, but... (laughs) Uh, there was, yeah. What do you do? Just not show up to a game? Yeah. So um, along with all of that, uh, it's going to be kind of a fun. Now, Matt Patricia, the former Lions coach, wanted nothing to do with this. But, uh, of course, we do have a new coach, Dan Campbell, and he is a lot more engaged in the idea. I think uh, I think uh, it's, uh, my goodness, I don't see what they have to lose. And this will be something really fun for the fans to watch. Uh, the NFL announced uh, Monday at its annual league meeting that the Lions would be featured, they would be uh, this year's feature on the Hard Knocks training camp series. What it does is it follows the team around before the season and uh, they record, you know, just different aspects of training camp, what the players are doing, what the coaches are doing. I'm sure uh, they're careful not to give out any secrets and strategies and you don't want other teams to to know what you're doing. Um, But yeah. We'll see. Maybe maybe this will lead to an improvement for the Lions uh, for their 2022 season. You know, I, I did happen to catch some Matt Patricia news. Oh, really? What happened now? <laughs> um, apparently, he's doing something for uh, the New England Patriots. Oh, they brought him back home, huh? Apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but if you want to read a little bit more about Hard Knocks and how it works, uh, we have an article as well about this that you can check out on the website and uh, a little bit later on if we have time uh there, there's another interesting thing with the detroit lions yeah we might have to make some time to talk about that if not maybe we'll get to it tomorrow we'll see <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break and uh we'll be back with a look at your weather so uh last week we got to uh have a really fun interview uh with a couple of people uh from california so they had to get up really morning to come on <laughs> yeah with us Yeah, a former Battle Creek resident and uh, a dear friend of hers are preparing for a 2,200-mile cross-country bicycle ride. That is incredibly 
long distance. <laughs> and they're not just doing it for the fun of it. Uh, they're doing it for a wonderful cause. They're raising money for cancer research, and it's all in memory of, of one of the ladies' fathers. Yep, uh, Nicole Jager and her friend Sylvia Moss. Uh, again, they joined us last week to talk a little bit about this, but we want to revisit it, and we will be having them on the show again as it yeah, gets closer. It's going to be exciting to kind of see uh, how yeah. their training is going, because it does take a lot of training. You don't just get on a bike and go for a ride for 2,200 miles. No, they told us there's all sorts of conditioning that they do to to get ready. Sylvia um, has been doing these types of things uh, a lot longer than Nicole, and so she's kind of helping Nicole uh, get uh, more ready and able uh, to to do something this crazy but awesome. (laughs) It is truly awesome. Uh, Nicole's uh, father, Marshall, lost his battle with throat cancer. And so what they're doing now is trying to raise money through this bike ride. Uh, and all that money raised is going to go to cancer research in memory of her father. There's been a fun set up um, over at uh, the Rogel Cancer Center at the University of Michigan. And that's where her father was treated. Yeah, she came back to Battle Creek. As we said, she's been living uh, out of state for several years. Uh, her and Sylvia, I think they met out in California. Um but at that time, she came back to Battle Creek to spend time with her family and help her father through his recovery and try to spend every precious moment together, knowing that time is borrowed and precious. Uh, and then it was during her father's recovery, she was reminded of a dream that she once had. Yeah, she was assisting her father and his physical therapist with uh, exercises for his recovery. And the therapist asked Nicole if she had ever considered going into the field. And the therapist said that uh, she could see a difference in Nicole's work with her father, um, that it was making a huge difference with his recovery and urged her to pursue the career. And it was a career that she had dreamed of when she was younger, before she found herself working in a, a office in corporate America. It's amazing the things that happen in your life that just take you in a whole different direction than what you thought. But to me, that's one of the things that you can cherish in life sometimes. Uh, but sadly, as we mentioned earlier, her father eventually lost his battle with cancer. Uh, and that time that Nicole spent with him changed her and the path she was on in life, as we were talking about. She eventually left the office grind behind and started her journey toward earning a doctorate in physical therapy and uh, since earning that degree. Absolutely. And now Nicole's focusing on something else her father believed in, and that is giving back to others. And Nicole obviously can't bring her father back, but she can do something to help others going through a similar journey and diagnosis by raising funds for cancer research. Yep. And so this 2200 cross country bike ride. And uh, I mean, it's going to be difficult, but boy, are they going to get to see some beautiful scenery. I can't even imagine all the stuff they're going to see. I would not enjoy being on a bike ride for that long, but I tell (laughs) you, I would certainly love to watch it. And uh, so if you want to support this effort, uh, the bike ride is coming up later this year. Uh, They're going to do it during uh, the summertime. July 1st is when they begin their journey. And the goal is to raise $50,000. And that sounds like an awful lot. Uh, That money goes quickly when it comes to cancer research. But an anonymous donor is matching all donations up to $25,000. So if another $25,000 is raised right there is the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, There will be a gathering for the ladies in Battle Creek uh, before they begin the last leg of the trip, uh, which will end in Ann Arbor. Um, And so we'll definitely give more details about that. They won't know exactly when that's happening until they're kind of going along. and Yeah, anything could happen. They could could run into a week-long stretch of horrible weather that leaves them hunkered down in an area. So, uh, yeah, Um, 
on the fundraising page, Nicole notes that an estimated 65,000 people are going to learn that they have head or neck cancer this year alone. She says that the Rogel Cancer Center is at the forefront of research, finding advanced and alternative treatments so that others don't have to endure the type of radical surgery her father had. And again, if you want to help, you don't have to wait until they do the bike ride. We have a link to the donation page, and you can read even more about what Nicole Jager is going to be doing uh, with her friend Sylvia Haas, uh, Moss. Uh, the link is at 953wbck.com, and uh, they would definitely appreciate your help. And uh, again, we will be checking back in with the two of them as it gets closer, and uh, we'll continue to follow this wonderful story. Absolutely. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a look at your news. So uh, there's you and I both are trained weather spotters. Yeah, that's uh, an accomplishment uh, I managed to uh, <laughs> accomplish. You know, and a lot of people have this kind of misconception that it's difficult or very time consuming. And really, it's just uh, one class that you take on one particular day um, and you... Basically, they educate you on uh, identifying different types of clouds, uh, the types of clouds that are uh, may produce storms or be accompanied by storms. Yeah. Um, how to identify what the, the clouds are doing and the winds are doing uh, during a tornado and how to tell the difference between a tornado and something maybe a little more benign. Yeah, because sometimes they can look very similar. You see these really dark, almost black clouds yeah. but it might not it might not have anything to do with the tornado or they yeah, can it just look might like have the shape but it maybe isn't moving or anything like that it's just a weird looking cloud like a scud cloud and um, i say another misconception too when it comes to weather spotting is that you're an actual storm chaser now some people can be both but oh yeah you're not trying to drive into a tornado with equipment or anything like that no this is this is more which you and i have done our fair share of storm chasing um but we want to be a safe distance away we want to observe what's happening uh from a safe distance and uh it's you can usually if you get to a good area where you can see a large amount of sky Mm -hmm. um you can tell a lot about what's happening yeah and uh several years ago you took a class uh, when we were living in the thumb region with the national weather service uh i don't remember which office what was it in Cairo? Uh, I don't think they had a weather office there, but uh, the class was in Cairo, and I want to say it was... um, The southeastern... Yeah. uh, There's, you know, five or six... Different uh, offices. It might have been in Detroit. And I took mine, I want to say it was about three years ago, in Battle Creek, and in fact, uh, the person who led that was uh, someone who we had in the studio recently, uh, Chief Meteorologist Keith Thompson from News Channel 3. Yeah, uh, but it's really not a terribly difficult thing. If you got a couple hours and you want to sign up and do it, and they make it even easier now. At the time, you and I both had to go someplace to take these classes, mm-hmm. um, but now you can do them virtually. Um, not only do they tell you the answers to all the questions they're going to ask, but at the end of it, uh, you can come out uh, feeling a little bit of accomplishment, knowing that uh, you have ways that you can get in contact with the National Weather Service and NOAA so that you can communicate with them what's happening, because sometimes they don't have a clear picture. Yeah, and the other good thing about it is there's no other required expense. If there no. are things that you want to get, you're more than welcome to... to, you, to well, I don't know if it's still the case. You used to get a discount 
mm-hmm. on um, being a trained weather spotter. You get a discount on uh, fun weather tools. Mm-hmm. Toys. Toys. Weather toys. Weather toys. Um, but you don't have to. And usually at the end of the class, they will give you a couple of pamphlets and booklets that you can keep in your... Some contact information yeah. on how to be get in touch with the National Weather Service, the correct way to report things. So let's say you have hail. Well, you don't want to just send them a picture of hail by itself. You want to have like maybe a quarter next to it mm-hmm. so that they can get an idea of what the size of that is. Yep. Because uh, there are people that exaggerate unintentionally, you know, oh, softball size hail. Well, that hail was the size of a quarter. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're going through stuff that's exciting, sometimes your memory of it and what actually happened can be two different things. But uh, they have tools they give you that help you provide accurate information. And again, it's to help them uh, put out alerts to help people people safe yeah i mean this literally can help save lives and you know Uh, you know my favorite part of it though what is the uh the the uh, storm worn magnet that we got for our cars oh yeah on the back yeah <laughs> they don't give those out we it's had to sky worn or sky worn yeah. yeah sky worn <laughs> is like a, a general uh general term for all people that are keeping an eye on conditions yep. well we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a look at your weather 95.3 WBCK, and joining us now is Christine Piak of Willard Library. How are you doing today, Christine? I'm well, thank you. Uh, definitely got some spring-like weather, and that uh, is good timing because I think the kids are going to be on spring break. That's right, and we have um, fun things going on all the time. Um, our brochure for the spring, which covers April and May, is available now. It's 12 pages chock full of all kinds of uh, fun things to do. Oh, sounds wonderful. And uh, you've got something, um, it looks like a a way to use some of Willard Library's uh, resources without actually having to go there. That's right. Um, We're having a fun program. It's called Happy Hour, kind of a play on Happy Hour. And um, we're going to have our digital expert available. It's going to be Tuesdays from 10 to 11 at the downtown creative space during April. And he's going to be there and you can just drop in and you can learn how to use our apps. Um, we have three apps, Libby, Hoopla, and Freegal Music, and um, you can download or stream ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, comics, music, TV shows, and movies. So they're really cool. They're all free with your library card, so just come on down, and um, if you've got questions, we'll try to help you. Bring your phone or your tablet, and um, we'll show you how to do it. All right. That sounds like a good time. Uh, we all know that Monday is everybody's favorite day of the week, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Well, you guys are trying to do something to make Mondays a little bit better for people. Why don't you tell us about this one? We we are. Uh, Maker Mondays are back. They took a little break for a while. Um, but every Monday in April from 2 to 5 p.m. and also in May, um, we'll have Maker Mondays um, in the creative space of the downtown library. And each month there's a different project. Um, we're going to work on laser cutting during um, April, and it's going to be engraving personalized pencils. Like when you went to school, remember people, kids have pencils with their names on it? Oh, yeah. I we've did. Got the pencils. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we've got the pencils, and we're going to show you how you can engrave your name or whatever you'd like to engrave on your pencils. Huh. Lacey would definitely like that because uh, I'm going to share some information here. Whenever we've been on vacations and you go to like one of those shops that has all the things you can buy and it has the names already on. Lacey's name is never. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. Brandon. You can make Bra- your own now. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because you can spell Lacey like 12 different ways. And mm-hmm. so they just say, forget it. <laughs> right. They don't even try. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got uh, something else fun on Thursdays. 
Right. Um, also in the creative space downtown, we're going to have Open Lab, and that's on Thursdays from 9 to 11 during April and May. And you can come down to the lab, and our creative services librarian will be available. And we've got different equipment you can learn how to use. She can show you how. We have a vinyl cutter, a heat press, like you can put... Um, things on t-shirts. We have a film scanner, like you can scan your um, old pictures and have them digitally available. And we also have a recording booth if you want to do a podcast or create some music. So lots of fun stuff. Thursdays from 9 to 11, starting next week. That absolutely is great. Uh, I'm thinking I need a shirt with my name on it that I need to come get personalized. (laughs) And then uh, I'm going to work on a podcast next. (laughs) Great. (laughs) All right, Christy Bianca Willard Library, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you again next week. My pleasure. And joining us now is Emily Lokes of Celebration (laughs) Cinema. Good morning, Emily. How are you? Good morning. Hey, uh, spring weather continues to flirt with us, and this is a great time of the year for the movies, so I'm doing great, and you know, what an Oscars week. Yeah, did yeah. anything significant happen at the Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, the it, obviously, stuff happened. You know, the sad part is, is that the Oscars in which people are probably talking less about the movies than any other Oscars in history, and uh, more about some of the drama, which is just, from my perspective, really unfortunate for all involved. I just hope that there's there's some real um, conversation and reconciliation, and there's there's good conversations that are happening about that moment. Uh, but but wow, what a what a unwinding and hard to watch happen. Yeah, absolutely, and it kind of overshadowed some more positive moments, like the interaction between Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli up on stage. Oh, what a delightful moment there. And just seeing the the genuine connection between those two women and Lady Gaga supporting uh, a woman that she just really reveres. You know, that that's, that's one of the fun things about watching the Oscars. And then I also am a huge fan of Jessica Chastain. So to see her finally win an award, uh, I have my picture where I got to meet her at CinemaCon a few years ago. So I feel like just kind of the glow by association. So that was that was really cool to see uh, her win for Eyes of Tammy Faye, which was a niche film, but really excellent. And then, you know, I am also um, really impressed by the film that did win Best Picture, Coda. Uh, Our sadness had been that it didn't have a theatrical release largely up until this point, but we are able to bring it into a couple of our theaters this week. We finally got access to it. And so that is coming to Kalamazoo, new um, Coda, which is the story of Ruby, who's a teenager so it's a coming of age film and she's the only hearing member of a deaf family in massachusetts and her family owns this fishing boat uh business and she kind of toggles worlds you know she's growing up in high school she she becomes really caught up in drama and theater and singing and uh develops a love of music which is completely foreign to the experience of her parents and so uh, Troy Kotzer, who plays her father, just won uh, Best Supporting Actor. And just watching his wrenching love and pain as his young daughter kind of launches into the world in ways that are mysterious to him is an amazing performance. And we will be bringing that into theaters. So I'm excited about seeing Coda come to the big screen. Yeah. Um, and there was lots of other great stuff at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, Coda, uh, the Academy Award Best Picture. Now, that's the last award given out, correct? 
That's the last award. Okay. So if people were still awake or still paying attention <laughs> well, by then. <laughs> that's one thing I was curious about. Now, we have to go to bed early. We're not able to watch these live anymore, so we usually uh, right? catch, catch highlights, which, of course, we had on Monday. So how late did it go on Sunday night? Oh, late. Um, I, I uh, yeah. <laughs> like after midnight, one o'clock? Yes. <laughs> yep, that's about right. Uh, so there are so, some new movies coming out, too. Also new, which is the big movie this weekend, is Morbius, which is one of the most compelling and conflicted characters in Marvel Cinematic Universe. So this is Sony's new installment in that, uh, that universe of film. And... Morbius is going to come to the screen. The big screen is Oscar winner Jared Leto, who's played a number of interesting things. Joker in Suicide Squad. He won an Oscar for a role in Dallas Buyers Club. But he plays this enigmatic anti-hero Michael Morbius, who's dangerously ill with a rare blood disorder. He's determined to save others from his fate. He's a doctor, so he attempts a desperate gamble I think it involves bat blood, excuse me, bat blood. So what could go wrong, you know? (laughs) Um, So at first there's some radical success and then strange new urges and darknesses are unleashed and he has to figure out who he is with this new, this new set of circumstances and identity. So Morbius, uh, a little darker film, but it is rated PG-13 starring Jared Leto coming to the big screen this weekend. And he's a very talented actor as well. So definitely we're checking out. He is. He's kind of known to be a method actor. So when he gets into his roles, he really gets into his roles. And he uh, has been noted for bringing that to the set, which has caused all kinds of interest for his co-stars. All right. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the big new one this weekend. I saw The Lost City, which opened with Sandra Bullock last weekend. And I've got to say the dynamic between... Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, and Brad Pitt is maybe the antidote to a darker movie like Morbius. <laughs> so if you're headed into spring break this week and you need some lighter fare, uh, The Lost City, we've got you covered. Um, that's just a completely fun film. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend that highly. And then we also just have a really niche art film called Compartment Number no. 6, which was a Finnish entry into the Academy Awards uh, about a young woman, kind of a Again, sort of a identity picture. She's she's trying to figure out who she is after a breakup. She goes on a train ride and she ends up in this train compartment with a, a local coal miner. And so it's about their connection and just journey discovering themselves and the country and all that. So a lot of interesting stuff on the big screen. Um, Hotel Transylvania Transformania will continue on as the Flix family film, so free for kids. And uh, we're hoping that, you know, there's some good weather in spring break, but if the cold, rainy stuff drives you in, the theaters are a good place, place to come. Absolutely. Emily Loke, Celebration Cinema, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Have a great morning, and we'll see you at the movies.